Well, good morning, third service. How's everybody doing? Good. Well, it is great to see you. What an amazing resurrection morning. Amen. Good. Well, it is great to see all of you here this morning. Sorry you're so packed in. And welcome all you guys upstairs. If you want to beat on the wall, let us know you're in there. Somebody get up and pound on that wall. There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. And then those of you who are live streaming, it's great to have you join with us this morning. Uh, it's just a, been a wonderful morning uh, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what, guys? For me, this is the greatest uh, of all holidays throughout the year. It is a holy day. And uh, for me, it's just my favorite. I'm hands down. The resurrection um, is the most holy of all events for the Christian. The day that Jesus rose from the dead. And I don't think we can celebrate it enough. I love it. It's awesome. Um, speaking of the resurrection, how many guys, last service, there's only one, um, how many guys have kind of made it a tradition or whatever that you like to read through the resurrection account, um, like the week before leading up to resurrection? Anybody? All right, five of you? Cool. That's awesome. Well, I'd, hey, I encourage you, make it a tradition. I think it's kind of fun because I tell you what, the, the resurrection story and the post-resurrection uh, appearances of Jesus, uh, they will greatly encourage you. Each one is special. Each one is unique. And, you know, one thing that's kind of weird to me about those, the stories, I don't know if you think it's weird or not, but almost every appearance Jesus makes, people don't know who he is. They don't know who he is. I mean, you ever noticed that? And you've got to ask the question, why is that? I mean, why is that the case? I mean, it's weird. It's like awesome weird. But I'm not really sure why that is the case, but I have a hunch. And my hunch is, is because I think Jesus has a real sense of humor. I just really do. I think Jesus rose from the dead with a real sense of humor. And I think I'm biblical in saying that, okay? Uh, because it seems like many of the post-resurrection appearance accounts... Jesus is, he's just likes to mess with people. I don't know. You can see in the story of Mary Magdalene. Like, check this out. Mary shows up to the tomb, and, uh, you know, she sees that Jesus' body's not there. So she starts crying. And she steps outside of the tomb, and Jesus shows up, and he goes, why are you crying? He knows why she's crying. And then he goes, who are you looking for? He knows who she's looking for. And then she says, well, I'm looking for Jesus. I can't find him. And she's having this conversation with Jesus. And you, you're reading this going, man, what's going on here? She's just kind of different. Well, John tells you what's going on because it says that Mary thought Jesus was the gardener. Now, let me ask you a question. Why in the world would Mary think Jesus was the gardener? What was he doing to make her think that he was a gardener? Well, I'll tell you guys, I'll tell you what he wasn't doing. And I'm not a painter. So I don't know what goes through the minds of painters, but when you look at some of the pictures of the paintings of Jesus and Mary, first of all, I don't think he showed up in this ultra-right bleached uh, bed sheet like that. That doesn't look like a gardener. I don't think he was fully garbed like that. That doesn't look like a gardener. And I don't think he was showing her yoga poses, you know, either like, hey, man, this is a downward dog or, you know, whatever this is. I just don't think any of that. Um, but I was, I was looking through some pictures and I came across this one. And I think this guy was, had the right idea. I just think he got a little weird on us. Check out this one. <laughs> he raises from the dead. Oh, I'm going to buy myself a cowboy hat and a shovel. And then what I love is that he's got all these veggies here. You see that? <laughs> Cauliflower, little miniature tomatoes and carrots and stuff. It's like, hey, Mary, what's going on? Who are you looking for? You know, I don't know. 
But I think he was on the right track because, you know, he was thinking the whole gardener thing. But, you know, Jesus, she go, he says, Mary. And she goes, Jesus. And they, you know, they run to each other and it's just awesome. But why would he do that? I don't know. Sense of humor, I think. Or how about the Gospel of Luke? Two of his disciples are walking on this road to Emmaus. And it says Jesus joins up with them. Okay? And so all three of them are walking. And he walks up to them and it says in Scripture that they were prevented from seeing who he was. And he walks up to them and says, hey guys, what are you talking about? And they stop and they look at them and say, hey, dude, are you like the only one in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? You know, the things that have been happening here. And Jesus are like, what things? And so they began telling him about his own death, his own burial, and his own resurrection. And the whole time, Jesus is just playing, you know, Corey there. And then he goes, well, wasn't that to fulfill the scriptures? And then he begins to unpack the Bible for them as they're walking along, never telling them who he is. And then it says in scripture, when they get to their destination, it says that he pretended that he was going to go further. Jesus pretended that he was going to go further. I can imagine Jesus like, all right, boys, well, we'll catch you later. I'm just going to head on down to the next town. And, and they go, hey, wait, do you, you want to join us for supper? And he's like, well, I, mean, I guess a man's got to eat. So and he goes into the supper. They sit down. He breaks bread, and instantly they know it's Jesus. And they're like, Jesus. Then what happens, you know? He disappears. They're like, Jesus. Boom. Where'd he go? Why would he do that? I have no idea. But the two disciples, they get up, and they run all the way back the seven miles to Jerusalem, and, and they're heading off there, and they, they show up to the, the room where the disciples are, and they're, they're all around, like, guys, tell you what, we were walking to a man, so Jesus, this guy showed up, and we didn't know who he was, and he, he's telling us all about what he's happening, we tell him about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and we're talking about that, and he's explaining scripture to us, and we sit down, he breaks the bed, and we're like, boom, it's Jesus, he's alive. And right when they're talking, guess who shows up in the room? Jesus. It says that Jesus shows up in their midst. He doesn't use the door. He doesn't use the window. Nothing. He just shows up, scares the living daylights out of them. They think it's a ghost or something. And he says, peace be with you. And then he says this. You have anything to eat? You got any fish? He's, and he starts eating fish. Now, how about you? But that statement just cracks me up. In fact, in my opinion, it just proves the Bible's true. Because no one would make that up. Hey, guys, I'm back from the dead. Hey, is that salmon over there? Do you mind if I help myself to that? That looks really, really good. I mean, these post-resurrection appearances, they're awesome and, and they're hilarious. And, and I'm sure, maybe it's just me, but it sure seems to me that Jesus is having a blast with this. And I know it might not seem spiritual to say this, but when you read it, it sure seems like Jesus has a sense of humor. Amen? It just does. And I, don't take my word for it. I encourage you to read them. You know, you'll love it. Well, today we're going to be looking at another post-resurrection appearance, actually a couple of them, and they're, they're connected. And the first one is the one we just talked about. It's, if you have a Bible, it's in John chapter 20. We start at verse 19, and it starts out in verse 19, it says this, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Now let's just stop there for a second, and let's pay attention to some of the details in this verse. Now notice it says, on the evening of the first day of the week. So tell me, third service, what day of the week is it? It is Sunday. Now, if you compare the passage in Luke, 
you will see that it is the same day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the same day that he appeared to Mary Magdalene. It's the same day that he walked on that road to Emmaus with those two other disciples. It's a Sunday. So what you need to see here is that this is the very first Sunday church service ever in human history. It's the very first one. And actually, the disciples didn't even know this, but this is going to be the very first resurrection Sunday service ever. Isn't that awesome? First one. And let me tell you, they didn't have a choir there. They didn't have an awesome worship team playing awesome songs on guitars and keyboards and drums and stuff. They didn't have an awesome, cool PowerPoint production. Not at all. These dudes are behind locked doors, huddling together, scared for their life because they think that the Jews are going to find them and kill them just like they did Jesus. This is what the very first Resurrection Sunday service in human history looked like. Not that glamorous. Not that glamorous. But let me tell you, they may not have had the fancy lights and the PowerPoint and and the worship team and guitars and drums and instruments. They might not have had all that cool stuff that Resurrection Sundays have nowadays. But let me tell you what they did have. This very first Resurrection Sunday service is about to have one of the most incredible guests show up out of the blue. And guess who that special guest is? Jesus, the risen Lord. Amen? Jesus showed up. Jesus suddenly shows up. He doesn't walk through the doors. He doesn't climb through windows. He just shows up. The resurrected Lord shows up. And really, guys, that's what makes this resurrection service a resurrection service in the first place. Because Jesus showed up. The risen Lord showed up. And guys, let me tell you something. When the risen Lord shows up, that's when the party starts happening. Amen? It is. That's when true worship begins to take place. That's when people's hearts and minds begin to be changed and transformed because they were in the presence of their risen Lord. And you know, as a pastor, that's my prayer every single Sunday morning is that Jesus would show up, that the risen Lord would would just show up in this place, that his presence would be made manifest, that it would be felt. Because I'll tell you at third service, that's when things start to happen. That's when true worship begins to take place. That's when people's hearts and minds are changed and transformed. Things begin to happen when Jesus shows up. Amen? It's not the lights. It's not the worship team. It's not the guitars and drums and keyboards. It's not the pastor. It's not the comfy chairs. It's not the perfect temperature, even though it's a little warm in here. It's not the paint on the walls, the banners, all that stuff. Those things are great, and they serve a purpose. But those things don't change people. They don't. Jesus changed people. It's Jesus who changes people. It's the risen Lord that changes people. Well, Jesus shows up at this first resurrection Sunday service, suddenly appears, and he's like, peace be with you. And he probably scared the lights out of those guys. And and he said, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed that they saw the Lord. Now, can you imagine that event playing out? I mean, that had to have been awesome. And and I know we've heard this story so many times that we just kind of gloss over and we don't really let it sink in what that must have been like. But guys, three days ago, they saw Jesus beat to a pulp and hung on a cross and die. They saw his body get put into a tomb. This guy was dead. And now he's standing in front of them, alive, eating fish. 
and showing them his wounds. And I don't know, I think it's just kind of cool that he showed them his wounds. It's kind of a man thing. Yeah, check this out, I got this. I mean, it's not a big deal, it's pretty big. They drove big honking spikes into it, but I don't know. And it says that the disciples were overjoyed. And guys, this isn't just, yeah, I feel a little joy. This was overjoyed. This is a kind of joy that involves the body. This is like you are so full of joy, you can't contain it. You're jumping up and down and you're leaping around. And guys, can you imagine the shift of emotions that just happened in this room? I mean, they're sitting in this room, you know, feeling heartbroken and helpless and all this despair and wondering about the future till all of a sudden Jesus shows up in their midst and they're like overjoyed. I mean, talk about a shift. They are crazy excited. Jesus is standing right in front of them. And guys, as awesome as this is, and I'd love to talk about this all day, that's not what I wanted to talk about and focus on. But we need to start here. Because if we bounce down to verse 24, notice what it says. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Now John gives us a detail here. That Thomas, one of the 12 main disciples who followed Jesus, wasn't at the first resurrection Sunday service. Apparently, John was taking attendance. He's like, "Uh, Matthew, you're here. Okay, good. Uh, James, good to see you. Andrew, all right. Peter, good to see you. Thomas, Hmm. Thomas is absent. You guys ever been to a church where they take attendance? Isn't that awesome? Well, John apparently did that, and... So, you know, Thomas was absent, so the disciples, when they see him next, they say, Dude, you weren't at church last Sunday. And he's like, yeah, so? What, are you taking attendance? They're like, no. Yeah, I mean, what? John did. He marked you absent, by the way, but that's not the point. That's not the point. The issue is, dude, Jesus was there. You understand what I'm saying, Thomas? Jesus was there. In person, he was showing us his wounds where he, they pierced him and they, they put the sword in his side. And, and dude, it was just amazing. And I'm sure they went on and on about all the things that, that he missed at that first church service. Now, Thomas responds, but it's not the response that you might expect. This is how he responds. It's very interesting. He says, guys, listen. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where those nails were, and I put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe it. I mean, I'm not wanting to call you guys liars, but this is way out of my realm of believability. Thomas isn't buying it. He's not drinking the Kool-Aid. Which is kind of interesting because, you know what? You'd think you would trust these guys. He'd been doing life with these guys for three years in a row, day in and day out, following Jesus together with these guys. He knew these guys inside and out. You would think he would trust them, but he doesn't. In his mind, Jesus was still dead. He had seen the beating. He had seen the crucifixion. He had seen Jesus be nailed to this cross and die. He had seen Jesus be put into a tomb. Jesus was dead. And I'm sorry, people, but dead people don't just show up three days later. And as much as they may have been his friends, with, you know, he, he could not believe this story. It was too much for him. And you know, I, I was thinking about this this week, and I, I was thinking, you know, why, why wasn't Thomas with the group? I mean, why was he there in the first place? I mean, and, and you know, we don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. We obviously can't know for sure that why he wasn't with them. But regardless, he, he wasn't. 
This is the group that he had been with for three years, day in and day out. And at a time where he should have been with the group, he was separated from them. And you know, I think that's where Thomas made his mistake. That's where Thomas, where it went wrong for him. You see, rather than grieve with the rest of the group, he decided to go off by himself in grief, to handle the pain on his own. And in doing so, he missed experiencing Jesus with the rest of the group. He missed out. And I don't know, I can't help but think that in his time alone, I'm sure the enemy was working on him, condemning him, shaming him, making him think that this was all just, you know, a big waste. Dude, you followed this guy for three years. Now he's dead. You look like a fool. Now what are you going to do with your life? And I'm sure the enemy was just having a heyday on him. And you know, that's what some people do, don't they? That's what we do. When we're in extreme sadness and and, and grief and facing all sorts of darkness, we we tend to pull away and we separate ourselves from the crowd. We separate ourselves from the herd, from the safety of community, and we become an island. And in doing so, we miss out on what God is doing within the community. And the enemy can single us out and he can cause doubt and fear and distrust and shame and guilt and you name it. And the enemy loves it when we pull away and become an island because then he can single us out and he can pound the tar out of us and get us to to the point where we just start to lose faith. And that's right where he wants us. People, can I encourage you this morning? Don't become an island. Plug into the community of God. Be part of the family. There's power in the community of God. There's expectancy of great things happening in the community of God's people. There's protection in the community of God's people. We need each other. We can't do life alone. We were created for community. Amen? Well, Thomas has been all alone. And he says some pretty strong words, which goes to show you how bad the enemy had been beating him up. And he says, guys, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger in him, unless I see that thing in his side and shove my hand out. I'm not going to believe that. In other words, unless I see it and touch it, count me out. I'm not believing this. You guys are crazy. Thomas puts his foot down and says, no way, I'm out. And and you know, you would think that that would just be that. Thomas would just continue to wallow around in his dark pit of unbelief. But here's the beauty of the story. Jesus isn't going to let that happen. Jesus isn't going to leave Thomas alone in this dark place for very long. Let me show you. Let's let's keep reading. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. So a week later, what day of the week is it? Sunday, okay? Now, so what does that mean? It means that this is the second Sunday church service in all of human history, okay? Okay? We just saw number one. Here's number two. And once again, John's taking attendance. He's like, ah, Matthew, good to see you. Peter, Andrew, oh, guess who decided to show up? Good to have you here, Thomas. Missed you last week. And once again, church service number two still didn't have a choir or keyboard or guitar PowerPoint. It doesn't matter because that's not what changes people's lives. The risen Lord is about to make an appearance again. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
And I always think, Jesus, you probably wouldn't need to say that if you just knocked on the door. But he just wanted to appear to him. And he shows up out of thin air. Peace be with you. And notice that Jesus doesn't mess around with anything or anyone else. He goes right to Thomas. Peace be with you, Thomas. I need to talk to you. And I love this encounter. He says, Thomas, you said you, you needed to put your finger in my nail marks. Here they are. Put, put your finger there. See, see my hands. Reach out your hand and, and just put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And I can imagine Thomas just standing there with this incredulous look on his face going, Oh my word, you're alive. And Jesus begins to say, go ahead, put your fingers there. Put your hand here. And I don't know if Thomas did or not, but I can't imagine that he, I'm sure he probably fell to his knees. And these are the words he said. He goes, my Lord and my God. Now guys, this is the first time that any of Jesus' disciples called Jesus God. They've called him Lord before, teacher, master, Messiah, Son of God, Son of Man, and all that. But this is the first time that any of his disciples called him by this name, God. You see, Thomas came to the full realization that he was standing in the presence of God himself. My Lord and my God. Can you imagine what he might have been feeling right then? Can you imagine the feeling that's going on in the room amongst the disciples? I'm sure that there was a holy silence amongst the disciples as they watched this whole thing transpire. What a wonderful event to to witness. Now, there's a few things I want to point out about Thomas that I think can really have impact on all of us. Things that we we can, you know, maybe be blessed by this morning. And here they are. I just want to point out a couple. Notice that Thomas absolutely refused to say that he understood something he didn't understand. And he, he refused to say he believed in something that he did not believe in. And you might be saying, wow, Luke, that's really profound. What's your point? Here's my point. I actually respect Thomas for that. You see, because there's an uncompromising honesty about Thomas. He isn't just going to pretend to believe in this ridiculous claim. He isn't just going to fake it and and act like he gets what's going on. He's just plain dead honest. And you know what, guys? I think we can learn from that. Because, you see, I think so often we get sucked into what we call religion. Any kind of religion can suck us into something that we don't really understand. And so we just kind of go through the motions and because we, you know, somehow feel pressured by people or we might, you know, out of fear what others think. And so we go through the motions and we pretend and we put on an act and we throw on the titles like, well, I'm a Catholic. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Plymouth Brethren. And on and on they go. We love our titles. But we really don't know what they mean. And so we pretend. We go to our churches and we try to mingle with everyone. We pretend to believe something that we have no clue about. We don't understand. And you know what, guys? The problem with that is if we don't believe in what we're being told, if we don't believe in it, guess what? We're going to walk right out those doors and we're going to live as if we don't believe it. We're going to live just like the rest of the world. And that's a problem. There's a quote by Brennan Manning. He says this, and this is a sobering quote, but I want you to let it sink in. The greatest single cause of atheism in our world today is, guess who? Christians. 
Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out that door and then deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Because you see, guys, it's all an act. It's all just a bunch of pretending. Want to know, want to know another word for that? Hypocrite. Guys, the world hates hypocrites. fact is, we all hate hypocrites, and yet it's so easy to be one, isn't it? Thomas was not a hypocrite. He did not pretend. He was brutally honest, and you have to give Thomas that. He absolutely refused to say he understood what he did not understand. He refused to say he believed in something he did not believe in. And guys, we have to appreciate that honest, honesty of Thomas. That kind of honesty is a good thing. We can learn from that. Second thing about Thomas is this. Just because Thomas didn't believe does not mean that he gave up the search. Thomas didn't just walk away. He didn't just give up. He didn't just say, well, that's it, I'm out. No, he kept searching. He kept searching. He didn't give up. had a guy in my office several years ago. And, he, and he's sitting there and he says, Luke, he says, really, I, I want to believe in Jesus. I really, really do, but I can't. There's just too many things I can't understand. And he got up and walked out of my office, and I've never seen him again. And I just have to think that he just gave up. Guys, can, can I plead with you this morning? If that's you, if you're sitting here this morning feeling that same way, Please don't walk away. Don't turn tail and run. No, search it out. Keep searching. Thomas kept searching. He kept coming back with his disciple friends and seeking and asking and wondering and searching. And you know what? He was rewarded with his search. Don't give up the search. Third thing we can learn from Thomas is when Thomas did believe... Let me tell you something. He went the whole way. He was all in. I mean, he was all in. There's no halfway with Thomas. He went all the way and he said, You, Jesus, are my Lord and my God. You, Jesus, are the sovereign one. You, Jesus, are the creator of this universe. You, Jesus, are God. Thomas went the whole way. He dove head first. He was all in. Because you see, here's the deal. Thomas wasn't just doubting to be cool. He wasn't just airing his doubts to show off. No, he doubted and then he searched and he searched and he searched in order to become sure. And when he did, his certainty was complete. And you, you know, I, I think so many people in our world today, they think that somehow they're cool or they're smart to be, when, they're, when they're being doubtful. It's like, I don't know if you notice this, but it's like a really hip thing nowadays to be cynical. It is. It's really cool. But that's where people remain. They live a cynical life, doubting anything to do with God, and they somehow feel empowered by that. They feel really good about themselves. They feel like they're intelligent. Think about that for a second. Can I just say this this morning? Just because you doubt something doesn't make you intelligent. Nine out of ten teenagers doubt that the advice their parents give them is good. Does that make teenagers intelligent? 
I'll let you answer it. We've got some teenagers in the room. Listen, guys, it's okay to doubt. I get it. I've been there. And I'm glad you're honest about it. But don't get stuck in your doubt. And by all means, don't glory in your doubt. Don't think that somehow you're a better person for it. It's so funny to me how people nowadays tend to, to love being cynics. And they love their fancy labels. Have you noticed that? Well, I'm an atheist. I'm a theist. I'm a deist. I'm a whateverist. Or how about this one? This is a big one. I'm what you call an agnostic. Sounds pretty fancy. Sounds awesome. I'm an agnostic. Let me explain something. Do you know what the definition for agnostic is in Latin? Ignoramus. (laughs) Ignoramus. Doesn't sound so fancy, does it? I'm what you call an ignoramus. I'm just a pretty ignorant guy. Feeling pretty good about it. No, don't be an ignoramus. Stop being ignorant. Search it out. Seek, and you will what? Find. Challenge those doubts. Hold them up to the facts and the truth. Put your hands in Jesus' nail prints. Put your hands in his side. Come to a certainty as to what you believe. Don't just give yourself a title or go to church or pray the prayer or say the creed because you know you can say all these things and just be an actor, a pretender. No, go all the way like Thomas and say, my Lord and my God. Now, I realize you might be sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, well, that's all fine and good for Thomas. Because he got to see Jesus in person. I don't. And you know what? You're right. I'll give you that. But let me tell you, and you need to listen to me on this, if you really want to seek out the truth, I promise you, you can find it. You can. If you really want to settle your doubts, I promise you, you can. If you really want to come to a certainty... I promise you, you can. If you want to get to know Jesus, guys, I promise you, you can. That's what he came for, so that you could get to know him. And trust me, there is an abundance of proof of the reality and truth of Jesus. Jesus is not a religion, guys. He's not just a set of beliefs. He's not just a creed. Or prayer you pray. Jesus is a person. He is the Son of God. He is one who came to this earth to rescue us, who died, who was buried. And he didn't stay buried. He rose again. And if you want to get to know him, you can. You can have a relationship with him. I promise you. But here's the deal. You're going to need to search. Don't just sit here and your doubt... And feel good about yourself. Don't just sit here and think that your doubting somehow makes you more intelligent. No, seek him. The Bible tells us that if we seek him, we will find him. The Bible tells us that if he rewards those who earnestly seek after him, knock and the door will be opened unto you. Another thing I want you to plug into a community of God, just like Thomas did. Seek him, and you're going to find him just like Thomas did. Notice, Thomas was at the second church service as a doubter. He didn't believe, and yet he still came. 
He still decided to be at that church service. In his doubts, he kept searching. And in doing so, he encountered the risen Lord. He encountered Jesus, and it changed everything. And that's my prayer for you this morning. You may be sitting here like Thomas, and you've been alone for a long time. You've become an island for whatever reason. You've separated yourself from a a community of God. You've been hurt, whatever it might be. But for some reason, you came this morning. For some reason, you're in this room. For some reason, you're watching this on the live stream. Well, my prayer is that you will encounter the risen Lord this morning. And you may be a doubter this morning. You may have come to this church because, well, it's the thing you do on Easter. My whole family came, so I have to come. My mom made me come. My wife made me come. But you doubt the whole God thing, and you sit here in your doubt actually feeling pretty good about yourself, feeling superior because you're a cynic, you're a doubter. Well, my prayer for you is that, like Thomas, you might encounter the risen Lord. Jesus, the risen Lord, is here this morning. And he's pleading with you, like he did with Thomas, stop your doubting and believe. Come, put your fingers into my nail prints. Put your hand into my side. Stop your doubting and believe. And guys, that's my prayer, that you would encounter the risen Lord and that you might come to a point in your life, a place of certainty, where you say, just like Thomas, my Lord and my God. Because when you do, it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything in your life. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you loved us enough to send your son. And Jesus, you came to this earth. You humbled yourself. You became one of us. You lived a holy, perfect life, and yet you were put to death for it. You were nailed to a cross. You were beaten. Your blood was shed, and you were buried. But Jesus, you didn't stay buried. You stepped out of that tomb. You rose from the dead. You conquered death. And you are the risen Lord. And God, I pray that every single person in this room who's watching right now, that they might encounter you, Jesus, the risen Lord. And may you change everything in their life. I pray this in your name. The name above all names. Amen.